This is the Earn More as a Life Coach podcast with Victoria Gibson, episode 34. Welcome to Earn More as a Life Coach with Victoria Gibson, the marketing resource for life coaches who want to transform more lives with their coaching and earn more while they do it. Hi there, I hope you are having a beautiful day. It's great to have you here. And today we are talking about something most coaches don't really like to talk about. And to be quite honest, I don't either. Because if you're anything like me, you'll find that selling your coaching and offers can bring up a lot of resistance. It feels like a necessary evil. Sales is something to get good at so you can get more clients and do more coaching, even though you probably can't stand doing it. And I'm not excited about mastering specific sales strategies or like (laughs) geeking out on how to sell better and all of that kind of stuff because selling isn't really exciting to me either. Marketing, on the other hand, absolutely is, which I know is not everyone else's jam either. And I know there'll be those listening who love selling and that is fine too, but it's good to be able to bring everything together because although I love relying on marketing and I'm dedicated to sharing great marketing strategies, the kind of marketing that shares value and creates connection, and both of which are really at the heart of sales too. But I just like to do it in advance of the actual sales conversation or strategy session or discovery session. And that sometimes means I don't have to practice selling so much because the marketing does a lot of the work for me. But I do believe that connected conversations with potential clients has a role in moving your life coach business forward. And given that it's tough to convert offers that are $5,000 or more on webinars and launches alone, sometimes you need to build on that selling skill. And even though I love my marketing and I bring in people who are really targeted and generally pre-qualified, there's still an element of, you know, approach and holding space almost, just like coaching that is needed for sales. And that's probably where I do myself the most injustice, where I get really excited about the opportunity for transformation, the marketing campaigns that will do, and the potential for the person that I'm speaking to that sometimes I might not be showing up in the best place to serve them. Sales, just like marketing, is giving our potential clients the brilliant opportunity to understand how we could best help them and bridge the gap for them coming and coaching with us so they can get the transformation and rid themselves of the challenge, roadblock, pain or problem that is no doubt taking up a significant amount of their energy and definitely blocking them from the life they want to live and the person they want to be. So look, I know that you're probably like me and that sales isn't something that necessarily comes naturally. And if you're generating leads and having enrollment conversations to get new clients, getting better at sales is really a means to an end because when you get better at it, you get more clients easily and you can quickly move to help them transform through your coaching, your skills and your expertise. 
and you will avoid spending the time on calls that go nowhere and rather when you invest that time to have a chat with a potential client, it will hopefully end in a beautiful paying client that is a fit for you. Now, in this episode, I'm not going to talk about things or ways or strategies to get someone who isn't a perfect fit to say yes because Marketing and sales can do that on their own, but that's not going to serve your business and it's not going to serve your clients. So I really don't want to go into more of those persuasion techniques because they can actually bring in some really crappy clients, to be quite honest. So we want to find those authentic ways that feel good and aligned for you and feel beautiful and wonderful and inspiring for your potential client too. Now, thinking about sales, I remember my very first full-time job out of university was a sales job. I was 20 years old. I'd finished my property degree and could have and really should have gone and worked in corporate real estate firm. But back then, you know, it was the 90s and we're in recession and a lot of those boys clubs weren't hiring blonde women. Look, I might have my own bias about being blonde, but I think it was a bias that really played out. But even if we looked at, you know, the girls who came through in my year, there was only a small amount of us anyway. And we were talking about it a few months back that only one of them is still working in corporate real estate because it is such a boys club, less so now, but like we're talking 1994 here. So I popped out of university, got my degree, all gung-ho, but there weren't really a lot of jobs in corporate real estate. So I started selling land. So by land, I mean blocks of land for people to buy and build their house on. So what would happen is they would come and buy the block of land, then go and get a builder and build a house and in this brand new suburb. And I was really lucky actually, because I worked for this developer that was such a great marketing company. And that was really where I got my excitement about marketing all that time ago. And I realized as soon as I started working there, ah, this is what I should have done at uni. So it was brilliant to open up my mind to marketing and how, yeah, this was the career I'd been waiting for for such a long time. But at that stage, I had a sales job. Lobbying for the marketing job was a whole nother story. I'll save that for another podcast. But anyway, my first job, sales. That meant working every weekend and it meant having to basically get people to part with thirty dollars to $80,000 for a block of land. Back then, you know, wasn't an insignificant purchase. And here's me. I'm straight out of uni. I've never lived out of home. Um, I moved out of home soon after that. But you know, I mean, what would I know about a family wanting to build their house? I've never even bought my own house either. I definitely hadn't learned any sales at university. And in fact, the closest I'd come was selling shoes at a clothing store called Sports Girl here in Australia. So that was the sum total of my sales experience. But I was like, you know, always enthusiastic and thinking, well, I like talking to people. Surely this is going to work really well. But essentially, you know what? I was just kind of a bit of an order taker. I had no idea the potential of learning just ways of connecting with people and how that could drive results on both sides. And in fact, in that job, I worked alongside my best friend's mum, who I'm really close to and I still am to this day. Anyway, I used to watch her because she used to just sell, 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 sell so many blocks of land. And I think, I seem to remember, I think it was maybe she got about $1,500 each block she sold. Now, this is a busy 
development, right? Like this isn't just like you hang around and like hopefully sell a block of land a week. Like there was 25,000 blocks in the whole estate over several years. So look, it was a big deal. But anyway, she was <laughs> she was selling heaps of these blocks of land and I would look at her and think, wow, you know, we're there about the same amount of time. She had quite a bit more dedication than I did, clearly, and experience and life experience. But the key differentiator was that she knew how to connect. She knew how to put herself in the shoes of those buyers, really listen to them and uncover what they wanted because they couldn't necessarily see it. Sure, they could see the location of the land, but they had to really envision what this house would be like because it wasn't even built yet. So that was where she really set herself apart. And I wish I could have known more about that technique back then. But what I realized is the best kind of sales is the selling that you can't see. Now, that's not in the form of trickery, but more so selling that can build connection and empathy. It sits in that emotional space and it earns natural influence because it feels aligned, sustainable, and it gets results for both you and your clients. And regardless of your thoughts about sales, that's the kind of approach we can all get behind as life coaches, right? That's why we decided to be life coaches, because we can really relate to that. Because despite our hopes and dreams that our coaching services, offers and programs are so good, they should be able to sell themselves or should be able to sell off a great sales page or with the click of a button, everything does need to be sold. Now, look, I'm going off on so many tangents on this podcast, but bear with me. <laughs> There's a legendary advertising campaign in Australia for fly spray from back in the day. They might even trot it out still nowadays. And it's got a pretty catchy jingle. And it's all about this character called Louis the Fly. And there's this brand of fly spray called Mortine Fly Spray. And it's an iconic advertising campaign because it was so successful because they never actually tried to market fly spray before, or you might call it bug spray in America. So forgive me if I'm using, we have so many flies in Australia, we just call it fly spray. I think you call it bug spray. I'm not sure what you call it in Europe. So please do make sure you message me or pop on my Instagram and let me know. But it's really interesting that so much money was spent on this campaign for fly spray because it still needs to be sold even when, hey, it's going to get rid of that pesky problem of bugs or flies. And it pretty much works, even if you buy the cheap stuff, right? Like, because it's full-on chemicals. So it's interesting to remember that. As much as I love marketing, I'm just trying to sell myself on selling as well. Because in thinking about this episode, I'm like, no, I really got to kind of unhinge that belief a little bit. And I hope that what I'm going to share today helps you do that as well. But, you know, just as Mortine resonated by creating a personality and a story about this character of a fly, you too can make your selling fun interesting and engaging enough to dramatically improve your results and get yourself excited about it. Because like any metric, it is important to pay attention to in your business and it can't be ignored. Or if it does, I mean, it kind of can be ignored and you'll get along okay, but you'll get along so much better and you'll serve so many more people and you'll be able to do so much more coaching and make so much more money when you embrace just some of this. And like the legendary sales trainer Zig Ziglar says, you can have everything in life you want if you help enough people get what they want. Now, that's like true sort of salesman speak. And in fact, I always used to hear everyone talk about this Zig Ziglar guy. And I'd be like, who is he? Don't even know because I've had no passion to learn sales in any part of my life. But anyway, I digress. 
still a good quote, right? Because I think it's a way to definitely get more of what you want in terms of doing more coaching, getting more clients and feeling really good when you get on a call rather than dreading the call and thinking it's going to be a waste of time or being really attached to the outcome. So I challenge you to embrace the art of empathic sales for the benefit of removing some of those barriers between your prospective clients and your coaching so that they'll have an easier and more clear path to work with you, learn from you and get the benefits of the transformation that you offer. Now, I really resonate with that thought of empathic selling more than straight out traditional sales, which can often feel pushy and manipulative. Empathic selling is the willingness and ability to put yourself into the mental and emotional position of your potential client when you make offers. Can you tell I Googled that definition? Because that's what it is, right? I'd love to say, hey, I just made it up. I didn't. Empathic selling is a thing. And that is the definition. Either you're on a call or you're on a face-to-face conversation, like I often recommend to do once you've had people go through your workshop or your webinar. And you can even use this on a webinar too. So what happens is you not only acknowledge their current position, but also invite them to step up and practice being their highest self so they can move towards their true potential and own those barriers that stand in their way and move past them to get what they want. And the reason that they will connect with you when you use this empathic selling approach in the first place is that they're unhappy with their current situation. And most of us know that we often do need a bit of guidance, support or assistance to move past a painful problem or to overcome a persistent block to success and positive change. And they do too. So they're connecting with you because they're unhappy. And this is a chance to help them move through that without steering it, right? Like without trying to control it, without being too attached. They're usually unhappy with something in their life and they long to change it. And coaching presents such a great opportunity for them to make that change. And you can just really be a conduit for that opportunity. You're not responsible for it. You're not the only person who can do it, but just being able to connect them to that transformation is so powerful. And by sharing your value in your marketing and really understand what is going on for them, you'll stand out as the most desirable opportunity for them. And empathic selling will help you facilitate the change by empowering them instead of merely persuading them. You don't want to be a manipulator or a force for change. Rather, you become that inspiration and guide to them owning and taking responsibility for that change. You don't want to position yourself as a savior because that just means that they are a victim, okay? And they will fully embrace that victim identity the more you show up to save, to steer, to manipulate, to have an agenda for where they should go and what they should do. It's just like coaching, right? And, you know, that kind of setting yourself up as a savior is kind of easy to do in a lot of those persuasive marketing techniques. And it's hard because it can be really seductive because it really describes what's going on and connects so quickly. But you want to be really, really careful with using any of that kind of stuff. Like I'm all for marketing and the principles of persuasion, but I love bringing it together with, you know, a real awareness of human beings and having empathy for where they are. That's what's driving most of us to be a life coach, I'm sure. But things like big money promises, bold claims, and heaping on all the scarcity can activate that victim identity in your clients, which can be hugely problematic, not only during those sales conversations or the process, but also it carries on through to the coaching delivery and final results. 
And it adds unnecessary pressure to you and your clients and are only going to reinforce your aversion to selling because people pick up on a bit of that stuff too, especially when you're having one-on-one conversations. It's fine on a sales page where it might not be as kind of damaging, but when you're trying to explain and invite people into your coaching and you use too much of that, it can cause a lot of distrust or it can motivate people unnecessarily and in an inauthentic way that doesn't allow them to show up in the best way. But when you start making offers using an empathic selling approach, you avoid this dynamic and you instead empower yourself and your clients towards the results they're longing for. And it also takes your marketing and messaging full circle by bringing them to the decision that's right for them. The marketing really brings about the desire. It brings about that awareness of the problem, a connection to the solution and a desire for that solution, as well as a connection to you as an opportunity to help them get there, right? The marketing does that. The sales just gives you an opportunity to make sure that the client is a fit first and foremost. And secondly, that the client identifies that this is the right next step for them as well with supported guidance. Because your marketing is spoken to them in a way that makes them feel seen, heard and recognized and really part of your mission. And then when it comes time to making the decision to come and join you in the offer, this should really feel like a natural step with maximum comfort and security. So, Empathic selling works beautifully with those leads that naturally come to you via social contacts and referrals. But where it really, really works beautifully is when you combine it with the connected marketing that does the selling before you even talk to someone. And that's the approach I teach with super targeted messaging and value-led marketing that delivers massive amounts of value and shifts towards transformation before anyone even buys for you. And this improves your opportunity to move people from interested to paying coaching clients. It builds desire and creates demand for you and your coaching before you get to the point where they actually say yes and invest. But even when that is done well, you'll still encounter some shifts when those calls happen and when the offers are made. And those shifts can kind of cause great conversations to go nowhere if you are not aware of some of these approaches that you'd be wanting to take to really demonstrate that you have empathy, that you are the right solution. And you can easily miss out on potential clients because of something you said or did in one of these conversations. And you probably found that by having some of these discovery calls, strategy sessions, enrollment conversations, mini sessions, whatever you like to call them. They're all really just a way to have a connected conversation that will explore whether a sale can be made, but it's the intention of having a sale with a pre-qualified prospect and payment at the end of it. And although we don't want to be attached to an outcome, discovery calls do take time and energy. And if many of these aren't leading anywhere, then you need some direction. Because when you're sharing your approach, ideas and value in webinars, podcasts, videos, posts and blogs, it's like your audience is totally connected and inspired. They're probably even nodding their head in agreement, right? And that's what's driven them, that nodding of the head, that agreement, that seeing themselves in that potential solution and the demand that you created. That's what causes them to reach out and want to have a conversation with you if that's how you sell your coaching, which I do recommend if you've got a coaching offer over $2,000 when you are early on in your coaching career or maybe more like three to five if you've been established for a while. 
I do recommend that you have those conversations. But don't just have conversations with people you meet down the street or people you meet in a cafe. Like Those conversations will have to be so long. You'll have to tailor up solutions and it just creates a real rod for your own back. I'd rather you have your message right and then understanding that market that you're going to target and create value-led marketing campaigns that pre-qualify some of these clients. And even when you do that, if you do your marketing really well, you will get a lot of people applying to have a chat with you. That's when you've got to start deciding, okay, now I want to really structure these conversations to make them more successful. And you want them kind of converting at least sort of one in three, one in four are yes. And then when you get them on a call and ask that question that says, hey, well, let me invite you to decide to move forward and let's coach together. This is where the conversation can twist and turn. This is where you can lose them, right? Because it's all fun and games while you're having just a conversation and you're connecting with them. But when you actually go to make the offer, this is where things can get interesting because anyone can take a connection up to that point. But once you reach that point, all of the things that you've said before have really built the foundation for where you go from there. And all of the things you say going forward make a big difference to whether you bring on this person as paying client and also to what extent they will create the results that you promise, right? And what extent you'll enjoy having them as a client. And when we get on a discovery call with a potential coaching client, we spend time talking through their barriers, challenges, and obstacles from their unique perspective. Not as a way to twist the knife, but instead as an opportunity to build connection and recognition of what their problem is actually blocking them from, to build empathy for them. It's important here to release yourself from what you want the prospect to say and really listen to what they are saying in their own words. And just as you would in a coaching session, hold the space for that and take note of how they describe what's going on so you can discern between fact and perception and get curious about what's really going on for them and what they believe is possible. Because when you really empathize and seek to find out what they really want, Rather than trying to twist and turn and move their agenda around to align with your best outcome and your desires, you're going to enjoy the process so much more. Of course, it's uncomfortable to ask them powerful questions about what's going on for them in relation to the problem they've been dealing with, but we're life coaches, so that is what we do. So we've got this upper hand almost in this sales process. You're already going to be doing empathic selling just by approaching it in a similar way to coaching. But together you can walk through what's going on and how they're showing up in the problem so you can investigate that solution together. Then we get to the point where we go to make a decision and we share with them, hey, I have an idea. We propose that idea in relation to what they've shared and your assessment of that opportunity for the transformation for that specific person there. That's why we're having a conversation based on your offer and your experience. They've acknowledged what's not working and how that's blocking them from the success they want and how working together with you or coaching with you could be the next big step. They've identified the solution together with you you've had the empathy, you've explored where they're at, what's blocking them, how it's showing up. Okay. So you're coming to that place naturally by asking a lot of those coaching questions because they're going to have an awareness of that. So then when you say, I have a coaching program, their brain processes, what do I think about coaching programs? Or maybe you say, I coach clients one-on-one for six months. They then go into, what do I think about committing for six months? Perhaps you say, I have an online course. 
They think I've bought so many courses and I've done nothing with them. It interrupts that flow of where you've been to get them to that place when you go straight to the offer. So pulling the offer out in the way that you want to talk about the details of your offer is definitely going to cut the flow of the conversation short. We want to make the information as much about what the client wants and eliminate conversation about what we are doing. This prospective client does not want what we are doing. They want what they need done. Our doing of things is a means to that end. At the time you make an offer, you need to be clear and compelling as it relates to the potential client's perspective and point of view. Otherwise, you're going to risk a disconnect and slipping into that pushy energy, or you're going to feel off, which will in turn will make them feel off, or you'll feel like you can't really go anywhere because they might retreat and close back and you lose the opportunity to keep them moving forward, which is in service if you've decided you want to work with them, right? So this is only after you've decided at that time. So you want to pull back from any complexity around your offer, logistics or unnecessary facts at this stage as it's going to block the flow that leads to paying clients. And really, you want to expect your resistance to increase making offers this way because you're going to be like, oh, okay, hang on a minute. What? I can't talk about my offer. Everyone's going to ask me about the price of my offer and how it works. Like how on earth are they going to say yes? And look, it is uncomfortable, not because you're asking them to pay you for coaching, but because you've moved into offer details rather than staying in the natural flow of desire and inspiration that the client is connected to. Whereas this way, we're going to pull back from that and we're going to stick with the flow, right? Because otherwise, it's like a barrier goes up as soon as you make an offer um, and you undo all that good work you've done up to this point of holding space, asking those questions, all those things we talked about. So look, when I'm making an offer, I coach life coaches in groups to get more high paying clients or privately if they want a custom solution. I just tell the client, I have a small group of about a dozen coaches that I meet with weekly. You'll notice I haven't talked about the price or how it works or any of that stuff, any of the stuff that I naturally want to talk about and any of the stuff that prospective clients naturally just want to ask when they jump on the call. We are going to move away from delivering all this detail about our offer until we know that they are a fit for our program. They are motivated and ready and have flushed out all of their questions as relating to anything to do apart from price, right? So when the offer is made, all we need to consider is can they invest or not? The price is the only thing we need to explore at that stage. So we've kind of gone through all the other elements. So that's why we want to do that. So they can be in a place of clarity to decide on our offer, not allowing their brain to push them in different directions and distract them with the deliverables of the program or dates of things or any of those go-to objections that you might find. Now they know what's going to happen from their point of view, right? So you're in that stage where you've had those discussions with them before you've made an offer. They're clear on, okay, we meet every week with 12 clients to discuss moving your business forward. They then go, okay, cool. I say something like we all come together on a call and discuss some things or they'll be thinking, oh, okay, I get to ask some questions, discuss my business with other coaches like me. Then the results that I share with them that we're going to get, my focus is going to be on the results that they've said they want. I'm not just going to be sharing all the results that I normally would say on a sales page or in a webinar. I'm going to customize it for them because I have heard what they've asked for. I'm aligning it to those specific results. So 
even if you're having one of these conversations, writing these down like you would in a coaching call, writing down some of those thoughts and beliefs that come up, you want to write those things down about what they want or what they want to move away from and what they want to change. So they can repeat it back in those words. So they can really feel heard, but it also serves to get up what other thoughts surround some of those beliefs or desires. Okay. And this is obviously providing you that you can deliver those results and those results are within your capability and expertise. I don't spend equal time going through all the results that my program would offer because they said they wanted a specific result. So I'm only going to talk about those. I'm not going to heap on all this other stuff, trying to make it sound better and trying to make it like they get all these extra things. Provided my program can get them that result, I tell them that we're going to do this particular thing and it's going to get that result that they wanted. I'm not going to go on and on and on. And trust me, I like to go on, as you can probably tell in this episode. Right. This is only at the end of the conversation and for the shortest possible time. So many sales conversations start when your potential client asks how they can work with us and what it costs. That's what they ask in the first few minutes of the conversation, or maybe even in the email before they come to you. And there's a lot of conjecture about, do you put your price out there, put it on your website, tell them the price beforehand. And look, you absolutely can, but really you want that to be the last thing that's revealed because it's the most common objection. And people are really attached to it. Like they have to know, otherwise they don't want to waste your time. I let people know you're not wasting my time. This is valuable to me. I'm getting a sense of where you're at. This is why I do the work that I do. And I'm not attached if you join me or not. And I really want to know if you are going to be a great candidate for my coaching too. Price should be irrelevant. Doesn't mean we bully anyone into it if they can't afford it. They can't afford it, they can't, but we want to know it's because of the price and not something else that we've been messing about with on the calls. You know, because otherwise they jump on the call, they ask that, and then you think it's a green light to go ahead and describe all the details of your offer, which is really just a conversion killer because the potential client is not even aware of what they're missing out on and whether moving forward with you is a good fit or not until we have the conversation around how the problem is showing up in their life and then investigating the solution. Before we make an offer, we must eliminate the expected tendency to turn away from the problem because guess what? Price is a really convenient distraction (laughs) from the problems that coaching can help transform. So it's easy to focus on price and make it a reason for not doing something. Now that doesn't mean you're too expensive. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It doesn't mean your offer's too long or too inaccessible or the dates are wrong. It doesn't mean any of that because when you follow this process, you will know it's about just their ability to afford it or their motivation or their ability to trust you, trust them and not delay the transformation. Okay. And I'm going to talk about those a little bit more. So before you make the offer in this decision phase, we have to find out what it costs for the person to stay where they are. And this takes some time, okay? So that's the other common problem is that you rush these calls because you think they're about explaining your offer on the price and getting agreement. And they're not. They're about diagnosing where these potential clients are. So when they ask about your offer straight away on the call, especially if they ask how much you charge, you can say, I don't sell a financial offer. It's not about the price. We need to investigate whether this is a fit for you, whether you will get great results from working together. And I'm going to answer all your questions. So please don't worry about that. And don't worry about my time because I'm not attached to you saying yes or no. I'm attached to creating the right result for both of us because there is always a cost to staying where they are. And when you blurt the price out and all these details, 
they become completely resistant to connecting with the cost of staying where they are. And that just makes a yes at the end of the conversation, if it should be a yes, so much harder. So it's our role to explore that without getting distracted by the commerce and the price and the details of the offer. Empathy is about understanding motivation, thoughts and desires, not whether someone wants to pay a certain amount of money or say yes. And the details of the offer are really a distraction that blocks your understanding, them feeling understood, and the building of desire to move forward that's necessary if it's the right move for them. If someone is single and they think they're unlovable, they'll never meet anyone, then the cost is not how much your program is. It's how many more days they're willing to get ignored when they send a text message to the guy they've got a crush on or to be the only one who isn't approached when they head out for Friday night drinks with a bunch of girlfriends. How many more days are you willing to experience this before you make a shift? That could be something that you might explore if you're a dating coach or a relationship coach. That's what it's costing. It's costing those days where they're keeping this problem, where they're beating themselves up, where they're not having what they truly want and can have with what you offer. So how do we know what it's costing them? Well, they've told us early in that conversation when you've asked those diagnosing questions about where are you now specifically, precisely? What is your challenge? What do you want to change about it? All of those things, they know what it's cost. They've told us what it costs them. So we just ask them, how much longer do you want to experience that cost? That is if they have answered questions and they seem to be moving forward. As soon as they sort of say, oh no, I'm, you know, I'm not really, it's not really a problem. I'm going to fix it up or this isn't a big deal for me. Then it's like, great, awesome to talk to you. Hope you got something out of the call and you move them on. You don't stay there trying to flog a dead horse, as we'd say in Australia, which is a horrible expression, but it's like, why would you keep going? They've already kind of indicating that they're not motivated to solve this problem, which means when they join your program, they're not going to be motivated to do the work to get the results. So we decide as to whether the client is a great candidate for the work we do and the offer we have. They don't. We know the offer more than they do. We're diagnosing the problem. It's not how we can bend over backwards, change everything around. So many times when you're like trying to get those clients to say yes, you're trying to move the offer around. And it just really breaks down some of the trust and sets you up to do a whole lot more work and take all the responsibility for the transformation, which as we know, never works. Instead, come from a place of certainty and confidence. You can say, I've got an idea. I don't want to see you keep doing this. You can acknowledge this problem because they've outlined it to you and really highlighting the comparative cost of where they are. I don't want to see you staying in that situation where you're constantly getting passed over and counting yourself out from that connection you long for as to that dating example or that relationship example. I really am not satisfied with knowing that you continually get passed over for dates because of something that's in your power to change. Or I'm disappointed that the potential dates you're reaching out to aren't moving to a place of more connection despite your best efforts. See how that's a different place to connect rather than, hey, you should do this 12-week program and when you come and join me, I've had these other clients that do it. It doesn't matter about your other clients. It matters about where they are and what they've told you. Or I'm disappointed you're not finding the best potential partners out there. All of that, and then you're going to have an idea. Bringing a few people together in a group, we'll learn how to get past the invisible barriers we build to lasting love. We'll learn how to get you back in a space of dating confidence. That's if they've talked about those things, right? And you can say that you don't have to keep that pain you just described that you're trying to get rid of. And if your offer has a specific start date, you're going to share that date. Make sure the date itself is not a challenge. We don't want that brought back up later. We want to eliminate that as a challenge. We want everything out on the table before, but 
relevant. Once again, it's just a date or something that can come up. It's not all the ways that you deliver things. It's much easier for them to remove all the go-to objections before sharing the price. So you know you're actually dealing with that price objection. There's nothing that your prospect wants more than to gather information about what you have to offer, especially the price and logistics. And until you have revealed all that information, they are as connected and focused and likely inspired by the desire for change and how you can help them transform. They're going to give you this information or they might have some more questions. And you can address some of those questions, but if they want go into once again the delivery of the offer and the price mainly the price then you can say that you'll get to that just ask specifically what do you want to ask and you'll let them know yes we're coming to that I just want to make sure everything else is covered the second element is that they may not trust you an objection might come up is that they're not trusting that you're the person to deliver that result for them even though you've probably spoken to them for like an hour at this stage and then they're kind of like You could easily just say a few quick things that really just set yourself up as a bit of a lack of trust. And that comes about, and I've been guilty of this, where I'm so excited about where they can go, that you don't really listen to them, that you think you know what's best for them, you have a bit of an agenda, and you want to drop any of that agenda as you would in coaching. So make sure you diagnose what their current situation is blocking them from and how it is holding them back before you prescribe your coaching try and pause, stop. Before you make a prescription, make sure that you have that specific diagnosis. If you're a doctor, it would be malpractice if you didn't. And as a coach, it's kind of the same thing. It's not malpractice, obviously, but you want to set them up. You want to be empathic and you want to be very clear in your language and not give them any reason to distrust you. One of the second reasons that things go off track at the time of the offer is that the client doesn't trust themselves. And like I said before, rather than jumping in to rescue them, you can agree with them and probe to explore those beliefs and statements that are coming up. If they've stated it, you're not in judgment. You're not going to beat them around the head and say, well, you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't X, Y, Z. Nothing about your agenda, just probe about what that is. Same with if they say they don't have the money, it's like, okay, you don't have the money is that really true? You can say that, or if that's not comfortable for you at all, you can choose to believe them at that point as well if you want, and you're better off just jumping off the call. But you can also bring up, you know, maybe that's true then. Maybe you don't have the money and maybe that's the default state you want to stay in because you're not going to be, you know, what other plans or ideas have you got to change it? Those kind of things. Don't try and explore too much of how to solve their objections. Just illuminate them and see if it's a belief they want to keep. So when they aren't trusting themselves and rather than you jumping in to rescue them, you can agree with them and probe and explore using their statements. So listen for how you can agree and allow their own response to that agreement back to where they start seeking to become a better person. You could ask something like, is not trusting yourself going to get you the result that you shared on our call. So maybe speak the result that they said. And they'll probably say, well, no. And it's like, well, have you considered finding a scenario where you could trust yourself? And that third common block to the flow of the conversation at the point of offer is the option to choose to wait and decide at a later date. This one often comes up as a partner excuse as well. It's very common because it's just an easy way to just divert from making a decision because they're scared. A thought's popped in their mind and they want to buy time because they feel scared. And look, we understand this. We're not here to bully them out of it, but it's good to illuminate what it really is. And also hold your own boundaries about your time and your ability to go back and forth. I do not do follow-ups. I do not do follow-up calls. It's like, you can reach out to me at any time. That's fine. There's no pressure. There's none of that kind of stuff. 
And you may also offer that you choose to work with those who are willing to decide to shift and they have an ability to decide quickly. So maybe they're not a fit and that's okay and send them on their way. Or you could say something like, I don't want to see you stay like this. You said you wanted to make a move. I'd like to see that as well. Let's make it happen together. Do you have any questions about this? Does the date work for you? All of those kind of things. So when you ask the question, it's important to know as well that you should be looking to get a yes or a no answer. And your expectation is a yes or a no. And this can feel really challenging. Many people aren't kind of used to wanting that clarity, but you can hold that boundary about being firm. It's a yes or a no with things like, does the date work for you? You don't want them to come back and say, I don't know what's the price. Like it's yes or no. If it's no, it's like, okay, great. Well, it's been awesome to meet you and away we go. We're not going to go into the details of the offer. They will still want you to, but you just say, no, look, it's irrelevant about the price and the details because you can't make the date or whatever that might be with the objections that come up. Because having the clarity of the yes or no goes beyond price resistance. That's what's beautiful. You start to move forward till the only thing left to disclose really is those final details and the price. And we're not going to labor on them. It's like the last five minutes of the conversation. And if it's not right, if they can't invest the money, you can sell them something else. Have something like a VIP session, an hourly session, a self-study option, something that is more accessible price-wise. Then you have a yes or a no at the end of the call. You have clarity, you've served them. And even if they are still a no, you know that there's no stone left unturned, right? Like the objection really is just about price and you might have other alternatives for that. The common problem is that many people think that the absence of no is a maybe and the absence of no is never a maybe, it's just a no. So if you treat it as such and move your energy onto the next call, you'll preserve your energy and make more sales faster. Hopefully removing your resistance to having more of these kinds of conversations and also getting more motivated clients who get better results too. So I hope that's given you some insights into empathic selling and what it can do to increase your enthusiasm for sales calls and increase the results that you're getting from them too. As always, if you have any questions, message me on Instagram. I'm at at I am Victoria Gibson and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Are you ready to create your own highly profitable coaching offer? Make sure you head on over to victoriagibson.com and watch my free class. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on your platform of choice. If you get a chance, I would really appreciate it as it helps get it seen by more people. And I'd love that. So thanks so much and can't wait to chat to you soon.